Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This is True Crime Psychology and Personality, where we discuss the pathology behind some of the most horrific crimes and those who committed them from a scientifically informed perspective. I'm Dr. Todd Grande. I have a PhD in counselor education and supervision, and I'm a licensed professional counselor of mental health. Dr. Todd Grande, that's my YouTube channel. Today's question is, can I analyze the case of Kelly Dwyer and Chris Zacco? First, I'll look at the background of this case, move to the timeline of the crime, and offer my analysis. Kelly Dwyer lived in Lincolnshire, Illinois, which is about an hour north of Chicago. From what I understand, it has a different pronunciation than Lincolnshire, England. She was active in high school. She was involved in the newspaper and yearbook clubs, as well as playing tennis. Kelly graduated in 2004 and moved to Milwaukee, Wisconsin in 2008. In 2012, Kelly found work as a salesperson for a Lululemon store. To make extra money, she taught yoga on the side, as well as working as a nanny for a well-known chef. Kelly became extremely active in the Milwaukee nightlife. She spent time at trendy bars and regularly used cocaine. On one occasion, she was sent home from Lululemon for appearing intoxicated. Kelly was on several dating websites during this time and was romantically active. One of the men she dated was named Chris Zacco. Chris was raised in Connecticut. His parents divorced and his father moved to San Diego. Chris regularly traveled there to see his father starting at the age of 10. After high school, Chris attended Boston University and earned a degree in international business. He moved to Milwaukee, Wisconsin in 2009. He worked as the head of information technology for a corporate relocation firm. His mother was a top executive at that same company, which may explain how he obtained the job. Kelly Dwyer was highly interested in Chris Zacco, but he seemed somewhat indifferent toward her. He would only call Kelly on occasion. Chris described their relationship as friends with benefits. Now moving to the timeline of the crime. On October 10, 2013, 27-year-old Kelly met 38-year-old Chris at his 18th floor apartment in Park Lafayette Towers. Not long before 8 p.m., Kelly and Chris drove to the apartment of her cocaine supplier, but the couple left without obtaining any cocaine from that source. They returned to Chris's apartment before making their way across the street to a bar called Allium. At 2.37 a.m., now on October 11, video surveillance captured the couple coming back to the Park Lafayette Towers. This would be the last time Kelly Dwyer was seen. The next day, October 12, Kelly was reported missing. After the last time Kelly was spotted on video surveillance, there was no more activity on her Facebook account, cell phone, and bank card. The authorities had no idea where she was, but they suspected that Chris was responsible for whatever happened to Kelly. 
when they interviewed him at his apartment, he said that after he and Kelly returned from the restaurant, they used cocaine and alcohol. After this, Kelly performed oral sex on him, and they both passed out. She left the apartment at around 9 a.m. The police weren't buying Chris's story. They were able to obtain a search warrant because Chris mentioned illegal drugs. On October 17, the police found marijuana, cocaine, oxycodone, and hydrocodone in Chris's apartment. In addition, they found shower curtain hooks with no shower curtain. There were pieces of the shower curtain still on the hooks, like the shower curtain had been ripped off. Perhaps Chris made an overly enthusiastic exit from the shower one day, or he used the shower curtain to transport a body. The police searched Chris's cell phone. They found a video recorded on September 22, 2013, three weeks before Kelly went missing. The video featured him engaging in oral sex with Kelly. The police described the activity as aggressive. Kelly was blindfolded and choking. It wasn't clear from the video if she was conscious or had any idea that she was being recorded. A cadaver dog named Molly was brought in by the police. Molly alerted to the scent of human remains in the apartment and in several locations around the apartment building. In addition, Molly alerted to the trunk of Chris's 2011 Audi S4. On October 26, Chris was charged with five counts related to drugs, but not charged in connection with Kelly's disappearance. Later, the police searched electronics and CDs owned by Chris. They found many inappropriate images of children. Chris was additionally charged with 17 counts related to those images. On November 13, 2014, Chris was found guilty of 16 of the 17 counts. The next month, he pleaded guilty to three of the drug charges. On January 30, 2015, Chris was sentenced to 19 years in prison. Chris was still not charged in connection to Kelly's disappearance. The state believed that he killed her, but they wanted a body before pursuing charges. The police classified Kelly's disappearance as a cold case. On May 1, 2015, a man looking for deer antlers found what he thought was a leg bone of a deer on Inland Drive in Jefferson County, 45 miles west of Milwaukee. After moving closer to the remains and seeing a human skull, the man notified the authorities. On May 7, the police identified the remains as belonging to Kelly. They opened a homicide investigation. They believed that Chris murdered Kelly, but they were not in a hurry to charge him because they knew that his travel plans were somewhat restricted. Again, he was still in prison. The police believed that the recording that Chris had made involving sex with Kelly revealed his method for killing her. They thought that on the day Kelly disappeared, Chris may have been engaging in the same type of sex act with her, except this time she died. The police talked to other women who had dated Chris. These women confirmed that this was part of a pattern of his behavior. One woman specifically said that Chris did not follow safety rules for dominant and submissive role-playing. On May 8, 2017, two years and one day after Kelly's remains were identified, Chris was charged with first-degree reckless homicide, hiding a corpse, and strangulation and suffocation. Reckless homicide is like manslaughter. It's where somebody causes a death not intentionally, but due to reckless acts which create an unreasonable risk of death. 
Chris's trial started on September 24, 2018. He was found guilty on all counts on October 5. Chris Sacco was sentenced to 31 years in prison. It's not all bad news for Chris. He will be eligible for release in 2065 at the age of 90. Now moving to my analysis. Some people believe that Chris was not guilty. Perhaps what happened to Kelly was a tragic accident and not reckless homicide. The strangulation and suffocation charge was not connected to Kelly's death. Rather, it came from the video Chris captured on his phone three weeks before Kelly went missing. There's little question that Chris was guilty of that particular charge, so I will not include that charge in my analysis. Let's take a look at the evidence both for and against the idea that Chris was guilty of reckless homicide and hiding a corpse, starting with the inculpatory factors. The way Kelly's body was found strongly indicates homicide. Kelly was last seen with Chris in his apartment building. A shower curtain was ripped out of Chris's guest bathroom. Chris had a girlfriend of three and a half years and talked about marrying her. He failed to mention this girlfriend to Kelly. The girlfriend indicated that not only was the shower curtain missing, but a large gray golf bag was missing as well. Chris claimed that Kelly left his apartment at 9 a.m. on October 11, 2013, yet she was not captured on any one of the 28 surveillance cameras covering the apartment building. On the day she went missing, again October 11, video surveillance captured Chris driving out of the garage of his apartment building at 10.06 a.m. At 10.08 a.m., Kelly's phone went dead. At 10.22 a.m., Chris returned to the garage and appeared to have a gray object in his trunk. After leaving and returning a few more times and loading items into his car, Chris departed for the last time that day at 6.16 p.m. He was due to have dinner with his girlfriend at 7.30 p.m., but did not show up until 8.45 p.m. His girlfriend said that Chris was nervous. Chris slept at her apartment that night and sweat so much in the bed, it soaked through the sheets. At about 7.30 a.m. the next morning, October 12, Chris drove 80 miles west to a cheese shop just north of Madison, Wisconsin. It was called the Mouse House. Wisconsin is known for cheese. There are stores that sell cheese covering the state. Driving 80 miles in Wisconsin to buy cheese is like driving 80 miles in New Jersey to find air pollution. Chris purchased a half pound of cheese at 9.55 a.m. He drove 54 miles east, back toward Milwaukee, and purchased new sneakers at a sports authority using his credit card. This was at 12.11 p.m. Based on the expected travel time, about 90 minutes were unaccounted for. Later, Kelly's body was discovered not far from the sports authority. Chris spent that night at his girlfriend's residence as well. Once again, he sweat so much it soaked through the sheets. On October 13, Chris and his girlfriend went to a restaurant for brunch. He told her he was ready to move to Colorado with her, something that she had wanted to do for some time, but he had resisted. It sounds like Chris was ready to start a new life in a non-Wisconsin state. A cadaver dog alerted to the scent of human decomposition in the apartment rented by Chris and at other places in that building. Chris had a history of being interested in sexual asphyxia. His interest started when he was 16 years old, a few women indicated that he was sadistic and dangerous. Moving to the exculpatory factors, 
There was no video in the apartment building of Chris carrying anything like a body to his car. The state indicated that some of the cameras were motion-activated, and Chris must have managed to avoid activating them based on chance. However, transporting a body does involve motion. At the site where Kelly's body was found, there was no gray bag and no shower curtain. No evidence there was connected to Chris. Kelly dated a lot of different men. Perhaps another lover killed her. She also lived a risky lifestyle, which included cocaine use. Cocaine is not interchangeable with the word safe. For example, you never hear the phrases, your secret is cocaine with me, or better cocaine than sorry. When considering the evidence, do I think that Chris Zaka was guilty? There's no doubt in my mind that he was guilty of hiding a corpse. As far as the reckless homicide, Kelly's death could have been caused by something other than Chris behaving recklessly. For example, she could have died from using substances. However, given the sadistic history of Chris, the fact that he admitted to engaging in oral sex, and his behavior after Kelly died, I think he is guilty of reckless homicide beyond a reasonable doubt. Moving to the next section, here are my thoughts in a few areas that stood out to me in this case. Item number one. According to women who dated Chris, he had a history of sexual sadism. This construct has a strong association with a number of psychopathic characteristics, including shallow affect, lack of empathy, lack of remorse, being manipulative, early behavior problems, impulsivity, criminal versatility, and superficial charm. This brings me to item number two. Chris appeared to have a very high level of superficial charm. He was able to manipulate many people with ease. He was even able to impress a social worker and mental health nurse who worked in the jail. They said that they admired his personality. Some of his former lovers still cared about Chris, despite the murder part. They found him to be funny, kind, and they specifically used the word charming. Chris's mother still stands behind her son. She appears to be in denial about his true nature. This case is proof that superficial charm is the only kind of appeal necessary to manipulate certain people. Some people find themselves unable to evaluate the more profound qualities of personality. They always remain on the surface. From their perspective, Chris is one of the best people in the world. Now moving to item number three. What do I think happened with Chris Sacco? This is just a theory, my opinion. Starting when he was a teenager, Chris developed an unhealthy obsession with sex, and he was high in sadism. This is a dangerous combination. Typically, someone like this would have trouble finding romantic interest because they would appear creepy. However, Chris had such a high level of superficial charm and career success that he was able to convince women to ignore obvious warning signs. Women who dated him liked his positive characteristics so much they were willing to discount his negative characteristics. Chris had no intention of forming a long-term romantic relationship with Kelly, but she believed she was falling in love. This clouded her judgment. She truly viewed Chris as someone who valued her, which clearly he did not. In addition, both Chris and Kelly appeared to struggle with substance use. This caused both of them to take more risks. It made Chris more dangerous and Kelly more vulnerable. During the early morning hours on October 11, 2013, Chris caused Kelly's death. 
he probably did not shoot her, stab her, or beat her, as that would have left behind a lot of physical evidence. She was probably suffocated or strangled, just as the state theorized. Chris was worried about being held accountable for Kelly's death, therefore he went to great lengths to dispose of her body. Now moving to my final thoughts. People like Chris, who have psychopathic and narcissistic characteristics, are effective at using the flaws of their romantic partners against them, like desperation to find a lover or substance use problems. They know how to deceive people who follow words and ignore actions. The lesson in this case is to concentrate more on actions and less on words. What someone says can be superficial. However, their behavior is much better at revealing their nature. This has been True Crime Psychology and Personality from Ars Longa Media. This content is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Ars Longa Vita Brevis. you to Barry Clue, an authorised financial advisor from New Zealand and a very special kind of stain on humanity. He was a very uh, knowledgeable young guy. He was a registered financial advisor. Type of guy that was bending over backwards to help you. Now you could be forgiven for thinking that Barry sounds like a great guy and you'd be right. Well, right up until the point when you're wrong. It was all fictitious. She stole from my son who has a disability. Chris never knew. He died believing that we're all taken care of. A psychopath is somebody who lacks empathy, acts impulsively. I think there's a strong case that Barry might be all of those things, actually. To find out how Barry Clue stole over $15 million from 81 victims, subscribe to Clueless, the long con. That's Clueless, spelt K-L-O-O-G-H-L-E-S-S. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify and all the usual suspects.